All right, you guys agree with me. Lord, we thank you so much tonight as we come before you in Jesus' name and through his blood. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this time. It's a special time. Lord, we hallow your name. We praise you. We bless you. And we ask you that the heavens continue to be really open and your glory to be awesome here. What a, what a presence of the Lord here tonight. And Holy Spirit, that you would just take over this time of the word. But Father, I ask you that by the Holy Spirit, that you would move upon every one of us that are going to be in the word together tonight. Help us, Lord, to give you our best ear, our full attention, our focus, that the Holy Spirit move upon our hearts and minds and make us good, fertile soil for the word, that our minds are, by the Holy Spirit, just locked in, focused. And we're, we're, we have eyes and ears of the Spirit, that your Holy Spirit touch our eyes to be able to see what we couldn't see before and touch our ears to hear what we couldn't hear before. But tune us in, Lord. Help us to get everything out of this. And I ask you to speak through me everything that needs to be spoken. As Jesus taught us the parable of the seed and the sower, this will go out as living seeds of truth sown into good, fertile soil. Watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. And Lord, let the precious Holy Spirit, let the winds of the Spirit carry this out among the nations. And Lord, everywhere this goes, let there be a light of truth that dispels the darkness and lies and deception of the enemy. I ask you for grace and wisdom as you speak through me what needs to be spoken. Let your word be like a hammer that's going to break through any strongholds and the washing of the water of the word. And we stand on the promise your word won't return void, but accomplish that which you sent for it to do. Let everything be accomplished in and through this. Everything said, and it will be thorough. It'll be effective and fruitful. We commit it unto you. We thank you for it now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, we're in a special time. Is we're in the fall feast. This is called in Hebrew, Yamim Norim, and this is the Days of Awe. So it goes from Yom Teruah, which was last Saturday, the Feast of Trumpets, all the way through Yom Kippur is 10 days, and these are in the Days of Awe. And I'll get a little bit into that here in just a moment. But tonight, before I go too far, I want to first cover some things just about the Hebrew roots. Giving into these feast times is so powerful. So I just encourage you guys. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 16, 16, three times a year, the males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses at the feast that was at Passover, the feast of weeks, that's Pentecost, and the feast of booze, tabernacles, and not appear empty-handed. So there's something about a special offering, Hebrews called Musaf, but here, now that we're on the other side of the cross, I believe there's something significant about sowing into it from a New Testament perspective. Because the Bible says about Jesus, and I'll talk more about this over the next couple of weeks, that the word became flesh and dwelled among us, or in the Greek, tabernacled among us. So the Feast of Tabernacles, one of the great revelations is, is God's tabernacling presence. And one of my favorite studies in the Bible, and I'm sure those that have been with me very long know this, is on the tabernacle. But why is it my favorite study? Because it has to do with God's dwelling, abiding presence. That's why. And so as we get into this tonight, I want you to understand that there's something to these Hebrew roots. And I, as I've studied this out, I encourage everybody again to make sure that you sow into tabernacles, just whatever God lays on your heart, and we'll continue to speak a blessing. And I really believe as you sow financially into the, the glory of the Lord that God's going to really move in your life in an awesome way. Here's some more things I want to talk about. So gleaning from the Hebrew roots, 
we're in the month of the Hebrew month of Tishri right now. This is when the fall feasts fall, okay? But before this month is the month of Elul, and it's a time where Moses, you remember the second time Moses came down the first time and had to deal with the golden calf, and then he went back up again for 40 days. Well, that happened during the month of Elul through these 10 days of awe. And so Elul's the time to, to draw near to God. And it's believed, and I think there's something to this, that the Feast of Trumpets has to do with like Judgment Day. And then it goes all the way to Yom Kippur. But at that time of Yom Kippur, that's, that's significant because it speaks of sins being forgiven. And so those of us that are in Christ, it doesn't, to us, it's not really a, a negative thing, is it? Because we're looking at the fact that Jesus took it. I mean, he was the... The, the Lamb of God. He was that, that uh, you know, in the Old Testament, there was the scapegoat, but there was the goat that died. And, and so Jesus was that offering for us. And so it's, it's, it's mixed. I mean, we have this, uh, you know, weeping and, and confessing and repentance of sin, but we also have a joy knowing that our sins are forgiven, that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And, but there's something about this time where there's like a special grace to draw near to God. Is I'm just sharing some things I've gleaned from the Hebrew roots, okay? And I think it's interesting that the, the focus of repentance has really shifted. Because when you read in the Bible, it seemed like around Passover time, people were really starting to deal with things. But now, in the day that we live, it's like the focus of repentance and really getting things right with God and Judgment Day and all that so much. Even the new year has shifted now from being in... Uh, spring to the fall so much emphasis on the fall and I think that that's prophetic because in the spring those feasts have been fulfilled but the fall feasts are about to be fulfilled <coughs> so during this time also as you draw near to God uh, in Israel there'll be what's called the slichot prayers of repentance which just means pardon us but here's things I, I, I want you to consider number one make sure that you forgive others Make sure that you right any wrongs. Cancel any vows. Have you made vows over this year that you have not fulfilled? That is a sin, and it can hinder your prayers being answered and can hinder things between you and the Lord. So make sure any vows you made to God, that they either need to be fulfilled or you need to really repent of that. And any vows you've made to people, if you've given people your word and you haven't kept it, you need to ask their forgiveness and you need to ask God's forgiveness. Also, confess and repent of any sins in your life. And finally, I would encourage you to be very careful with word curses. Have you spoken things out over this year that has cursed yourself or others with negative words? Again, Yom Teruah last week, the Feast of Trumpets, it speaks of what? The rapture. So it speaks of like Judgment Day because God himself, Jesus is going to come down and there's going to be that shofar blast, but there's going to be a judgment between who was really right with God and who wasn't. Think about that for a minute, because all the people that are left here that played games with God and never got right, you're talking about a judgment. They're going to be left behind to have to deal with things. And then Yom Kippur, we're in these days of awe, and I believe personally there's a special grace, because if you study this out, Yom Kippur was when Jubilee was decreed. So start putting these pieces. I'm kind of dovetailing from last week's message. But 
Israel had to really deal with sin and repent. The high priest had to go in once a year, and it was at Yom Kippur. And all the sins of the nation had to be dealt with. People were humbling themselves. People were repenting. People were getting right. And, you know, in my opinion, it seemed like the focus uh, at Passover seemed to be really to purge the yeast out and all that. But, man, the focus now about deep repentance and getting right seems to be in the fall. But anyway, Israel really had to deal with that. And the high priest would go in and he would make atonement. And Jesus has done that for us, hasn't he? But it was a real serious time. But out of that, when the sins were forgiven and everything was dealt with, then the high priest would blast the shofar and declare jubilee. I believe it's connected. Because once people deal with things that they need to deal with, then God can break through for them and great restoration can come. Does this make sense? It's like at this time, it's, it's a time for us to consider. I believe the courtroom is open all year long. But I do believe that there's some kind of a special grace at this time for accounts to be settled, for any accusation of the enemy to be silenced, and for God to render judgment on our behalf, and for there to be like a release of jubilee in our lives. I really believe that. It goes back to something that's ancient, something that goes back to God's patterns. How many knows that God has had things set in place for a long time? And this goes back to the... the nature of the lord that he's a righteous judge and he will vindicate his people y'all are quiet tonight but i do believe there's a special grace in the courtroom at this time let every account be settled i encourage you to go into the courtroom in prayer during this time and do what i said about forgiving others righting wrongs all of that and when you go in humble yourself and ask the lord to render judgment on your behalf and the bible shows us in daniel that the ancient of days, it was like Satan was prevailing against God's people until the ancient of days took his seat. And he rendered judgment on behalf of the righteous. Then they got their breakthrough, see. And I believe that's what we're dealing with right now. There's like a special grace for God's, uh, for us to get the courtroom shifted in our favor. And I don't know about you, but I'm ready for some jubilee and some breakthroughs in some stubborn areas. I really am. And there's some things God's wanting to deal with, but we've got to go before him, but we've got to go before him the right way. If you have unforgiveness, if you have sin in your life, if you have things that aren't right, see, it's going to hinder things because the enemy can accuse you. But if you'll deal with stuff, then I believe that God will shift things in the courts for you and it will release a restoration in the days to come. All right. And I believe personally there's something significant about these days as I talked about last week. I believe that they're just simply eternal. You can read um, in Isaiah, it said from once you get through the millennial reign into the kingdom to come, the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. It says that nations from Sabbath to Sabbath, new moon to new moon would come to Jerusalem to worship before the Lord. In Zechariah, we see that the nations were coming to Jerusalem and celebrating. And you see specifically the Feast of Tabernacles. And if they didn't, God would not send rain on their land. So there is something about these days that is significant. And so let me go through them just for a moment. They're eternal. I don't believe that they have to do with your salvation. I don't believe they have to do with you being right with God or not being right with God or anything like that because we're in a new covenant. I don't believe that you have to keep in a legalistic way. 
but I do believe that there's something special about these days. And let me, let me show you. So regarding a weekly Sabbath, this could be kept. Um, I know that traditionally Friday night to Saturday night is when Israel keeps the Sabbath. But I do believe also that in the new covenant that if there's another day that works best for you. I believe God's just wanting us to give him a day. Because some people's schedules don't permit that. I mean, those are some people that work maybe in law enforcement or in the medical field, and they have so many days on, so many days off, and it rotates. I mean, they'll be three days on, two days off, and they, they can't always keep a certain day. I believe from the new covenant perspective, there's not all this hardcore legalism. But I do believe that if we would give God a day, a day that we could rest and just spend time with him, spend time with your family, I think that there's something very special about that. And let me just read you out of the Bible some promises linked to the Sabbath. Now, again, I don't believe you have to do this to be right with God, but I do believe that there's a blessing that comes on the Sabbath. And here's what it is. If because of the Sabbath you will turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call it a Sabbath or call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable and honor it, desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word, verse 14 then you will take delight in the lord what that means is there's different ways of translating that it means that you'll enjoy life that's an awesome blessing isn't it the second blessing is this i will make you ride on the heights of the earth you know what that means to be the head and not the tail and then i will make you feast on the inheritance of jacob your father and that has to do with abundance. So there's three blessings associated with the Sabbath. If you just set apart a day, a day that you'll rest unto God, there's a blessing that comes to enjoy life, to be the head, not the tail, like God's exaltation, his promotion, and then having abundance. And I can just tell you from experience, when my family, as we started keeping a weekly Sabbath together, I noticed that the presence of the Lord was in it. And I noticed that we began to really bond even more as a family than what we did before. And it was just something special, you know, unto the Lord. And again, I don't think it has to be a specific day. And it certainly doesn't need to be something that's real legalistic. It's just something that's fun. What did Jesus say? He said, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. People always have a tendency to try to get real legalistic. And it's all about rules, don't they? And people tend to have all these idols and different things. But it's, it's there just as a gift. How many knows that a day off, a day of rest, is a gift? Amen. Amen. So God's given us a day. He says to take one of those days and rest in him, okay? All right, another thing that's interesting to me, when Israel was in revival and they were doing well spiritually, you could see different things. The temple really prospered or the tabernacle, whichever season we were in, but it prospered. Um, also, like under David's reign, you see a lot of reference to the monthly and the, it'd be translated the new moon, but it was Rosh Kodesh. And what that is, is every turn of the Hebrew month. So every time that the moon, because the Hebrew calendar is based primarily on the moon cycle. So every 30 days or so, the moon will go dark and then there'll be a sliver and that's the new moon as it appears in that is the turn of the Hebrew month. So this, to this day, when you see a full moon, you're always right in the middle of the Hebrew month, okay? 
And so still to this day, the Hebrew month is based primarily on the calendar uh, or the moon for their calendar. So every new moon, the Bible said this. I found this really interesting. The Bible says, blast the shofar. And to set apart a time. So under David's ministry, when he was reigning as king, he always had like a feast and a celebration at that time. I thought that was interesting. But God wanted Israel to always blast the shofar. I think there's something here of a principle that for God's people, there's something about the shofar blast that brings confusion to the camp of the enemy. Also, at the beginning of the month is a good time about sowing like a first fruits unto the Lord. And the Bible says if you'll give the Lord the first fruits, that the rest will be blessed. And you guys have been taught enough to where I don't have to keep going on and on about first fruits. But there is a principle of giving God your first fruits, and that's not your tithe. First fruits will bring a blessing of abundance. The Bible says your barns and your vats will overflow. And if the first fruits is holy, the rest is. It's a way of, of sanctifying your finances unto God. And then finally, these various feast days, these to the church, because of Constantine coming to power and doing away with anything that had to do with the Hebrew roots, it was a Catholic thing, the church by and large is very ignorant, and it's, it's a shame because there's a lot to this. How many of you guys, since we've looked at the feast and since we've had something special like a celebratory thing and we've recognized it and I've taught on it, how many of you guys can say that you have learned a lot from these feast times? Seriously, you've learned a lot. How many of you guys can say that you understand the Bible more since we've been doing that throughout the whole Bible? You understand it more. I did too. When I began to understand all of this, I began to understand everything, including the New Testament, more clearly. But the feast days are very interesting. It's a cycle, and I don't have time to, to rabbit trail into this, but I've taught on it. It's a cycle. We're supposed to be going from glory to glory. And it's interesting because any, anybody that knows about the deliverance ministry knows that what I'm about to say is true. At Passover, what is the emphasis that God's putting on? Number one, that we bring our lives fresh under the blood of Jesus. Also, that you purge your home from any yeast, which is, speaks of any type of sin. So you guys know, because I've taught on this, that there's something in the deliverance ministry where you need to make sure and go through your home and make sure there's nothing in your home that's going to give some kind of a point of entry to the enemy. Y'all know what I'm talking about. So Passover helps us to re-examine, is there anything in our home that needs to be removed? And it's a way of really coming under the blood as a family in an awesome way. And Passover also can be done as a church corporately but it's also really supposed to be done in your home as a family so you're bringing your family under the blood and from a new testament perspective the the emphasis is on jesus christ the blood of christ the lamb of god in reverencing what he did at the cross and how it parallels pharaoh is a picture and type of uh, satan the taskmasters with the whips are pictures and types of the demonic and being in slavery was bondage to the enemy. In Egypt is a picture in top of the world. And how we're brought out from under that bondage out by the blood of the Lamb. It's a picture in type of salvation, isn't it? And then you move into Pentecost. What's the emphasis of Pentecost? 
the baptism in the Holy Ghost, power of God. And so every year we've been doing something special here that I try to get some really anointed speakers. And I would have to say this last year that River of Life, we, we outdid ourselves with this conference. It was amazing. We had some of the best speakers come in and it was just amazing. But what happened? There was a fresh anointing. There was a fresh baptism of fire. God released a power in our midst fresh. It's like picture the menorah. It's like a fresh flame is lit in our midst. The power of God. I'm talking about cycles, yearly cycles. And then when you move into the fall feast, again, not that we don't do this back in the spring, but we really take some time as a church to pray and fast and make sure that everything's dealt with. And we have our time of really purging our lives and all that. But as we go into it, what's the focus here in the fall feast? It leads up to tabernacles, which has to do with the glory of the Lord. Do you see the pattern? So you're dealing with things back here at the blood, purging your home, purging your life. Then you're coming into a fresh baptism of power. Then you're coming into a deeper realm of the glory. And just like the tabernacle, when you went into the holy place, you had the table of showbread, that's the blood. Then you had the menorah, which, which represents the power of God, Pentecost. And then you had the incense, which took you into the glory. And that has to do with worship and prayer into the glory. So there's this yearly cycle that God has from a New Testament perspective that is supposed to be, I, I, I hate to say this, but I really genuinely in my heart believe this is true. The overwhelming majority of churches and ministries get stuck in a rut. You can leave there and come back five, ten years later and they're exactly the same. I've done it. And the only thing different is the people look older. They're singing the same songs, the same stuff, same anointing. Nothing's going on. They haven't progressed. How many knows that we're supposed to be going from glory to glory? God should be giving us fresh revelation that we didn't have a year ago. We should have a greater anointing today than what we had last year. We're supposed to be always moving forward. See, the way I see it is this. Whenever you look at what the river that was coming out of the throne ankle deep knee deep waist deep over the head there's always supposed to be an increase to increase to increase to increase a glory to glory to glory i never want to get stuck in a situation where we're just having the same old stuff and you may be facing the devil and he may be doing literally anything he can to keep you in that place but god wants us to break out of that and I believe if we'll pray and we'll fast, and I have a remnant here that does that with me, if you'll pray and you'll fast, that God will give you breakthroughs into everything he has for you. So regarding the feast days, though, there's something there connecting to something that's very ancient and very powerful. I don't believe personally, it's just my personal opinion, that they just are under Moses at all because let me give you some examples regarding the Sabbath that was in creation I mean knows Moses wasn't there some people don't know their Bibles kind of like oh he wasn't <laughs> no, Moses wasn't there so this this is not law the Sabbath was in creation 
And there's some people that have studied this out that know, that know what they're talking about. And let me, let me just give you something to think about. As I've really studied the Bible, and I mean it for years now, I've really studied it out. Everything that God has done, it, it really amazes me because I don't think that we're even going to begin to understand how insanely intelligent everything really is. Nothing is random. Nothing's accidental. Everything that God has always done is so perfect. The timing, everything, that personally I believe that not only a Sabbath, but I believe that because there's people that have studied this and said that, you know, every 50 years like a jubilee, there's always been something significant or significant things would fall on these times like a Shemitah. I don't have any problem believing that because God is so organized and so perfect. It's like everything he does is in such a perfect timing in such a perfect way. So I think that there's something very significant that, that has always been there and I think will always be there. When God came and gave Moses about the tabernacle, the Bible says he took from what was heavenly, the heavenly pattern, the heavenly tabernacle, because there is a tabernacle in heaven, and God revealed that to Moses, he replicated on the earth. I think that everything that God was giving to him, that there was something there that had always been there, if you will. That's just something that's my opinion. But connecting to this, there's something very ancient and very powerful about this. Also, these feast times, if handled from a New Testament perspective that's not legalistic and not weird, but it's something that's fun, uh, we understand how Christ has fulfilled it. If it's handled correctly, these feast times can help us to purge the gates overhead. How many knows the enemy tries to cause the heavens to be brass? I've had multiple people come here and tell me, multiple ministers tell me there's an open heaven over your church. I feel like they use different phrases, whether it's a portal, angels ascending, descending, but there's some kind of an opening, and you can feel the Lord here. Yes, that's true. And I do believe that what is in these feast days help purge the gates. Whenever we have times of prayer and fasting as a church and repenting and dealing with stuff that needs to be dealt with, how many of you guys know that that purges the gates? That causes the heavens to be thinned out and cleared out where the enemy cannot oppress the way he wants to. And when you have a time where we come together, like, for example, Passover time, and we're really reverencing the blood of Jesus corporately like that, I'm telling you that opens the heavens because the blood of Jesus breaks the power of hell. And when we have these conferences, these people come in, that helps to purge the gates and bring the power of God in. Another thing, I believe that these help us keep up with God's timing. There's some things that I probably understand from a different mindset than some people because my wife came out of a family that was involved in the occult. So they were connected to these satanic feasts. And even though she'd accepted the Lord, when those, when those times would come, there was a strong oppression. I mean, we didn't even keep up with them, but you just knew because of the oppression that something was up. And then we, sure enough, we look into it, and there was some kind of a satanic feast. What happened was that family had connected to some kind of a satanic timing. 
But how many knows that that can be disconnected? And so as we begin to deal with these things, my wife and I began to break the power of that. But you know what we did? We wanted to connect to God's timing. And I believe that there's something about these feasts as we, we keep up with it, that there's like a timing that's going on. Also, the prophetic timing. Jesus called Israel the fig tree. And he said to keep your eye on the fig tree to understand prophetic timing. So there's something about these, and that's where people got revelation. The Bible says before the Lord comes, the moon would be turned to blood. And we know that there's not like animal life up there where there's going to be some mass slaughter and it's going to be covered in blood. So there, th this is something that um, is going to have to do with the, you know, astrological thing that happens but it's interesting to me that nasa and the scientists call it a blood moon but what was cool was a few years back some people that know what they're talking about understood the significance of when these blood moons fall on these feast days and it speaks so god is there's something prophetic in that for those that have eyes to see and ears to hear does this make sense it helps us to know what god's saying what he's doing prophetic end time events how things unfold when you know the word of God and you know the timing, timing of God and you've got your eyes on Israel, you see things that God's up to while the world is oblivious. It also brings incredible understanding out of the word of God. As I've taught on these for years now, there's things in the word that I see and understand that I just simply did not before. And just like we've been going through this Bible study together over this last year, there's going to be things on the other side of that that from the rest of your life now, as you read the Word of God, when it comes upon certain subjects, you're going to understand it where you wouldn't have before. Why? Because you got the foundation laid. And also believe this, God intended for families to have a culture that revolve around Him. And I'm about to move into the second phase of this sermon I want to get to about how God speaks to us, but I, I need to dwell for just a moment on this. One of the greatest tragedies of when Constantine came to power, Roman Catholicism came to power, Constantine was officiating as Pontus Maximus or whatever in these pagan temples as their high priest. He was officiating there while at the same time he was supposedly some kind of a, a leader of the Christian church. Roman Catholicism came to power and really brought a, a lot of perversion. But one of the ways that they had to do that was that it was a very deliberate attempt to sever any connection with the Hebrew roots and then to bring in that Roman influence. It was very effective. But one of the things that Constantine did that was really sad because in the Hebrew culture, the family, the home, revolved around the Lord. Every week, Jesus' whole life, his mom would have covered her head. She would have spoke a blessing, lit candles. They would have set apart a Sabbath day. They would have had a meal where they talked about the things of God. From the time they were children, they, they memorized scripture. Their family would go together weekly to a local uh, church and synagogue, you know, go to church and listen to the word. I mean, it was like the family culture, the feast days. Every year, um, going to Jerusalem 
uh, Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacle. It's like the whole family culture revolved around the, the, the Lord, around the Word of God, understanding the things of God. When Constantine came to power, there was a lot of damage that was done that still has not been repaired to this day. But one of the greatest tragedies was forcing out of the home the things of God. And what happened was it was forced out and put into a building with some kind of a professional clergy. And now anything spiritual that was to happen was to happen at a church under a professional clergy. And to this day, how many people out there, the only thing that they have in their life is their family just simply will go to church periodically. They have nothing in their home. Sadly, it's an all-time high today. There's people that go to church week in and week out in our nation that have truly never even been born again. They're not even born of God. And they sit through religious services week after week after week after week after. And they never learn anything really significant. They never grow. Why? Many of them are never born of God. But secondly, it's just religion and it's something that people go to and they don't even have the reality of it in their home, in their family. But see, when you get back to understanding the Hebrew roots of the faith, it puts it back in the home. So all of a sudden the father is now in the proper position of being a spiritual leader he's supposed to be. How many fathers have abdicated that and they try to put that on a pastor? There's only so much a pastor can do when he, only, when he has your family a couple hours out of the week. Are you hearing me? You know, people send their kids to public schools and I'm not going to ream public schools too bad, but everybody knows how corrupt things have gotten. And they're there all day, five days of the week, and then on weekends, they're, you know, they just sit around watching TV and on uh, tablets and things. Don't know God from a hole in the ground. Then they go to church and they expect the pastor just in children's church. You know, they're in children's church for what, a, like an hour in a week? Yeah, that's going to really make them just be spiritual giants. Yeah. And we're seeing in our culture that problem right there. Whereas if you would get it out of just the church and begin to put it back in the home like it's supposed to be and kids are growing up in an environment where they're experiencing the Lord in their home and their family revolves around the Lord. It's not just something you do on the side and everything, everything in your life is about yourself. It's not like that. It's like your, your life and your family revolves around the Lord. He's actually the Lord of your life. He's actually the Lord of your family. But it should be in the home where the family, you know, talks about the Bible together. They pray together. They worship together. You know, that you actually see the power of God in your home. Brianna can tell you that we've seen in our home. Uh, healings and deliverances and things and not just church people but even in our own family just us we've seen supernatural miraculous healings medical miracles in our family we have seen deliverance from major satanic attack um, we've seen the power of God in our family why because he's in our home we want him in our home and you know 
that's more important to me than anybody else when anybody else likes me or thinks about me or whatever because I've had some people get mad at me because I won't put up with some things but I want the Lord's favor in my life I want his presence in my life and if anybody's going to challenge that then I'll challenge you and you know God's got my back about that all right so anyway just get the Lord back in the home let God be God in your family let God be God in your kids all right let me move now into the second phase And I'm going to close with this, but I'm going to talk about God speaking to us. I think too many people really don't have a relationship with the Lord, and that's scary. I'll never forget this. I've shared it before, but I, it bears repeating. God really changed my life when I went to Brownsville back in the days of the revival there. It wasn't just a touch. It wasn't just a feel-good thing. It was a literal encounter with the living God for me. And it totally, completely turned my life upside down. It changed everything. Everything about God had a call on my life, but everything began to change when I went there. The way that I saw ministry, I began to see how shallow and ridiculous a lot of things really were priorities changed God began to deal with a lot of stuff in my life when the fire of God came in there were so many things under the surface I didn't didn't even know it was there but God began to cause all this sin and all this pollution all this junk to start coming up how many knows the fire of God will do that <laughs> and for years God just began to really deal with all that sin and clean me up and change me but it wasn't just that it was it was being on fire for God I mean, I, out of that encounter, I, I really fell in love with the Lord. I, I love going to church. I love being in his presence. And that's why I have what we have here in River of Life. There's a lot of things I could be doing, but I want God's presence. And I began to love the word of God. I began to really devour the word. I would go in at, at church by myself. Nobody was there, and I would just read the Bible for hours. And I began to really love God's presence and, and prayer and I began a personal pursuit of the Lord and it changed everything but as I began to really spend time with the Lord I began to to have a relationship and that's what I'm trying to get to and when I met years later in 2003 God had done a tremendous work in my life I mean I'd been through a lot and God had really done a work I mean it really cleaned me up changed me taught me a lot of stuff and Steve Hill started Heartland in 2003. And I was one of the, the early, I mean, I don't know, may, maybe 50 people in his house. Um, one of the early people God brought there. And Brother Steve really was just a wonderful man of God. We spent time together, just him and I meant the world to me, uh, to be able to sit and talk to him and just ask questions. And I asked him all, of, all kinds of questions. And, um, you know, he prayed over me. It was a real special time. But I'll never forget that when I first met him, and even though I'd been to Brownsville and I felt like I kind of knew him because I, mean, I was there so much and all the videos and all the things I saw, but yet here we are talking now, just him and I. And for the first time I met him, here's what he asked me. He said, what's God been speaking to you? 
And I said, well, it's kind of personal. I started telling him, and then he, he kind of interrupted me. He said, well, he said, the reason why I'm asking is because there's a lot of religious people that don't really know the Lord. They're just religious. And I want to make sure you know the Lord and have a relationship. That changed my life because that's true. Many people go to church. They know about him, but they don't know him. And it, it scares me because Matthew 7, 21 isn't joking around. I mean, that's in our pamphlet we give out. But <laughs> Jesus is going to say, you know, well, many people will say, Lord, Lord, we did all these things in your name. He's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. And he also says, you practice lawlessness. You lived in sin. But Brother Steve wanted to know right then because he was going to lead me to the Lord. If I didn't know, he was right then. He was prepared. <laughs> that was Brother Steve, man. He was always thinking about souls. And he wanted to make sure, do you really know the Lord? And when I started telling him what the Lord had been speaking, he knew that that was, that was true. And I'll tell you the impact Brother Steve had on my life. This, this was really special to me too, but Sergio Scataglini's father was one of the fathers of the Argentine Revival. Brother Sergio was here with us this last Pentecost. It was powerful. But we were driving down the road, and we were talking. I began to talk about some of these things about Brownsville. And he, he told me, he looked at me and said, I feel like Steve Hill when I talk to you. I feel that, you know. And that, that, I'm telling you, man, he had an impact on my life. Brownsville did. It's there. It's, it's just in my life. God really touched me there. And I feel like I carry something from that revival. But that revival had a lot to do with people getting right with God and having a relationship with the Lord. How many times did we hear Brother Steve talk about, you're here tonight, you're all these denominations that are here. He said, your denominational tag is either going to fall off or it's going to burn off, but it don't mean nothing before God. How many times y'all hear him say that? I, I, all the time. He said, you can go to hell with baptismal waters on your face, still chewing on a wafer, you know. I mean, he just told it straight because he was trying to tell people all your religion isn't going to get you through the pearly gates. You better know him. And so I need to move on from that, but this is what I want to read tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And then I'm just going to share a couple things and close, but 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 6. The apostle Paul said this, Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are passing away. What he's saying there is not world's wisdom. It's going to be easy to gloss over some of this. I'm going to try to stop. I want you to really think about what you're reading. He said that I can speak spiritual wisdom to the mature. In other words, I can't. To the immature. Everybody follow me. He said, and let me explain what I mean. I'm not talking about your Ivy League colleges and universities, what wisdom. I'm talking about supernatural wisdom from above. Verse 7, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. Hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age had understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And right there, Paul is taking a, a little bit of a shot, if you will, 
at the Sanhedrin, all the rabbis and the Pharisees, Sadducees, leaders that supposedly had so much wisdom with God, yet they really didn't, did they? For if they had known true wisdom, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. They would have bowed down and worshipped him. But Paul says, as it is written, quoting from the Old Testament, things which eye has not seen nor ear has heard. Now, how many of you guys know that Jesus many times would say things like this? They have eyes, but they can't see. And I think about John when he both wrote the book of Revelation. How many times did we read among the seven churches? He said, those that have ears, let them hear. In other words, not everybody has spiritual understanding. Eye has not seen nor ear heard, which has not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. I cherish the Holy Spirit. I believe outside of the cross of Jesus Christ, the greatest gifts that God has given us is his precious Holy Spirit to be with us and in us and also his precious word. The Bible says about the Holy Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man in him? Let's just break it down for a moment. I don't know what Randy's thinking about right now. Hopefully he's thinking about what I'm preaching on. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. But I don't know what's going on in his heart. <laughs> Only Randy knows. <laughs> but this is what the Bible's trying to say here, that no, nobody knows what's going on inside somebody else except their own spirit within them. In other words, the Holy Spirit knows the depths of God. He is the spirit of the living God. Let me read that again, verse 11. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? He's trying to say here that the deep musings of man, that what goes on inside of us, we only know that. Other people don't know. In other words, the deeper revelations, the deeper things of God, nobody knows but the Spirit. Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of this world. There is a Spirit of this world. Unfortunately, I think that the entertainment and some of the stuff that's crept into some places in the name of Christianity is the spirit of this world. How many knows when the Holy Spirit's at work, we don't need all these other things. We don't need all this worldliness. But there is a spirit of this world, but we have not received that, but rather we receive the spirit who is from God so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak. Now, listen to this, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts and spiritual words. got to stop and explain this a little bit so paul's saying here that when you get things from the holy spirit it's going to be something that other people of the spirit will understand you start talking about the deeper things of the spirit with with a lot of people they're not gonna have a clue what you're even talking about but you get revelation and you talk about it to other people that are people of the spirit and they understand so this isn't words taught by human wisdom but those taught by the Holy Spirit. 
combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. So these are deeper things that we talk about. It's what, what Paul is saying. Is this making sense? I don't want to lose anybody. I'm trying not to go too fast. So Paul's saying that there is a spiritual language, if you will, where people that have gone deep in the Holy Spirit, deep in the things of God, can see and understand things and communicate it to each other. And we understand it, but other people won't. Verse 14, but the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. They mock them, as a matter of fact. And he cannot understand that. Everybody say, he cannot. He cannot, he cannot understand them. Because they are spiritually appraised or discerned. But he who is spiritual appraises all things or discerns all things. Yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that we might instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ? So let me break this down and get real practical because this is kind of a deeper passage of Scripture. And Paul was frustrated with the Corinthian church because they were still worldly and carnal. And he wanted to communicate with them deeper mysteries, but they couldn't handle it. Jesus taught us this. He said, do not cast your pearls before swine. Because if you cast your pearls before swine, swine don't appreciate your pearls. <laughs> what did Jesus say they do? They trample them underfoot, and then they come after you. They start trying to attack you. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. Let me just give you some good godly advice, pastoral advice. When God shares with you things, don't share it with everybody. The book of Proverbs says discretion will keep you. And I, I met this precious Ethiopian lady that's a good friend of my wife and I, Pacific Northwest, her and her mom are prayer warriors. We love them very much. Very discerning people. But she's told my wife and I, she loves talking to us because we get it, right? She said, but I'm just going to tell you straight out. She said, if I try to talk about hardly anything spiritual, with anybody around here, she said they really will think that I'm crazy and that there's something wrong with me. That's sad, but that's the way things are. So be careful casting your pearls before swine because they're not going to get it. You're wasting your time. They'll trample it underfoot, then they'll attack you. And I learned a long time ago, I've tried to talk to some people about revelation things god's given me and i start understanding that they just don't get it and they're not going to get it and so i just quit wasting my time some people just don't have eyes to see and ears to hear they can if they would start spending time with the lord which is what i'm gonna get to before i close but let me give you seven things how does god speak to us well, number one, he speaks to us by his word. I believe, you know, there's places like in China. I saw where China has banned the Bible. And people are persecuted there by communist China. They'll go in and they'll find, you know, people with Bibles and they'll imprison them. It's really sad. But I remember under, the underground church there in China, and I remember somebody had taken a video with a phone about how they had smuggled in a bunch of Bibles to the underground church. And I saw, as they, they blurred faces for obvious reasons, but I saw how these precious Christians who were never allowed to have a Bible, and they had to meet to worship in secret, 
began to pull these Bibles out of suitcases, and they were just bawling. And they were hugging the Bible and kissing it. And I mean, they cherished that word. And it really made me sad because of seeing how um, America is in many ways with the word of God. A lot of people have a Bible and they never even read it. I believe, honestly, that we're going to stand before the Lord on Judgment Day. And you got to understand that the Lord, the people that are weeping over a Bible in China because they don't have it, and then somebody that's just too pathetically lazy to ever open it and read it in America he sees both of us at the same time. Amen? It's awful quiet. But God's given us his word. And I don't know about you, but I believe most people in River of Life, you really love the word of God. I, I cherish the word of God. And I've studied it. I read it. I love the word. So that's number one, how God speaks to us. Derek Prince said he doesn't ever pray without having his Bible in his lap because he said God speaks through his word. All right, number two, and this is where it loses a lot of people, is God speaks by his spirit. The last thing the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians was this. May the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, I'm sorry, the love of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The last thing Paul said to the Corinthian church was that he prayed that they would have the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, 14, it says those that are sons of God are led by the Spirit. So sons of God in the Hebrew culture implies a level of maturity. Because you go from being a child, there's a bar mitzvah, and then you're considered now like a son, and you began to learn the father's trade. And so when Paul was saying that sons of God are led by the Spirit, he was trying to say that there's a level of maturity in this. And many people that have accepted the Lord and they've been born again, and they may know about the Bible as far as they've read it, and they've got some head knowledge, but yet they have no real relationship with the Holy Spirit. And they don't know how to be led by the Spirit. And Derek Prince tried to explain this, and he said that people should be progressing and getting out of elementary into middle school into high school into college spiritually speaking but he said that they've never developed a relationship with the holy spirit so even though they're like somebody that's a grown individual as far as age goes in the lord they're still like a, a little child spiritually they've never grown up in the lord so the holy spirit we've got to develop that relationship i hope i'm not losing you tonight it's one thing to know the Bible. It's a whole other thing to know the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will help you learn the Bible. But the Holy Spirit is a person. And when Jesus, read about him in John 14, 15, 16, Jesus said, look, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send him. And he's going to be your counselor. He's going to be the one that lives in you and is with you. And he's going to guide you. And he's going to teach you what I've, what I've been telling you. He's going to help you get it. We need the Holy Spirit. We desperately need a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Another way that we're led by God is just flat out God will speak to you. I mean, if had God really truly speak to you, I have. That's what Steve Hill was asking me. What's God been saying to you lately? Another way that God speaks is through dreams. 
my wife and I, my family, we've had prophetic dreams. Dreams are more symbolic in nature. So you may get a dream from God that seems really out there. It really does. But you have to understand dreams are very symbolic. So you've got to get the interpretation. Visions. Another way God speaks is visions. Visions are much more literal. Usually a vision, what you see, is pretty much what God's trying to show you. Also, another way that God speaks to us is through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. How many of you guys appreciate the gifts of the Holy Spirit? God will give prophetic words. He'll give prophetic words to you directly, or he'll use a person to give you a word. As I hear recently, Brother Benny was here, and so Brother Benny gave people prophetic insight, interpretation. There's been times that God gave a message in tongues and interpretation, and there's been some pretty significant interpretations that have come. My wife and I, we pray together every night. And sometimes the Holy Spirit would just interrupt and there'll be a message in tongues and interpretation. But it has really been a great blessing to us because God gave us something significant. Also the gift of the word of wisdom. And finally, discerning of spirits. That gift of discerning of spirits well, really, it is very important, but it's probably very misunderstood. And then finally, I don't have time to dwell on this, but prophetic acts and outward circumstances, this is very rare, but there are times when God will speak through something outward. And I, I have multiple examples I could give, but I've got to finish preaching tonight. But I remember one time I was walking in this room and we were in the country and then in this particular room, as I was walking, I saw at the corner something move, and it ended up that there was a copperhead there. And so there was a big trash can, and I ended up having, I didn't want to walk around with the thing in there, so I had to dump the trash can and, like, get him in the trash can. It was too big for him to get out. And I finished because I was having a time of prayer. But the Lord used that like a prophetic thing, and he told me, I'm going to use you to expose a hidden serpent. Now, I don't want to get into it, but God did use me to expose something after that. And it was something demonic. And it was like when I exposed it, all hell broke loose. So God will use these outward prophetic things to speak to us sometimes. But those are usually pretty rare. I haven't lost you, have I? All right. And so the last couple things is how do we hear from God? Those are seven ways that God speaks to us. His word is the most prevalent. His Holy Spirit, his, the leading of the Spirit is also very prevalent. But how do we hear from God? Well, Hebrews 5.14 says, solid food is for the mature. What did Paul say? I'm speaking wisdom, words of wisdom to the mature. So there's something about growing up. How do we grow up? Our inner man has got to be developed. And so Paul said here, if he's the writer of Hebrews, which I suspect he is, solid food is for the mature who by practice or that can translate constant use have trained their senses to discern good from evil. So you're using, you're developing your inner man. See, God doesn't speak to your flesh. God is really more than anything else, he's speaking to your spirit. And the more that you develop your inner spirit man, the more sensitive to the Holy Spirit you're going to be. The more that you're going to get revelation. 
How many of you guys were here when my wife preached and talked about distractions? I went back and listened to that sermon. I wanted to hear it because I knew how much God really changed her life through that. That, that was a life-changing thing for her. And so I really wanted to hear her talk about it. And she said, I remember when she went through this, she was going through a lot of stress, a lot of being too busy. And she told me, she was frustrated. She told me that you're talking about all this spiritual stuff and I'm having a hard time really being on the same page. And it was frustrating. We went to Cambridge together and she just had an encounter with the Lord there for whatever reason. And the Lord told her, said, look to your husband for the pattern. So she told me that, and I knew exactly what she was talking about. And I began to talk to her about daily prayer. Make sure that you have it no matter what. I began to talk to her the morning, evening sacrifice, the tabernacle pattern, things like that. And I watched as God began to totally set her on fire. It started at Cambridge. But, I mean, she began to really spend time every day with the Lord, get up early or stay up late, whatever she had to do. And she began to be so discerning not only was i sharing spiritual things in her getting it now she was giving me all kinds of spiritual revelation she began to really just go on a high level of discernment but it's by that constant use it's developing your inner man see if you were to go on some kind of a malnourished diet where you were not getting what you needed, your physical body would gradually waste away. There's people in the body of Christ all across this nation that their physical bodies are strong because they're eating healthy and taking care of their physical bodies, but they don't ever spend time with the Lord. And spiritually speaking, they're just malnourished. They're anemic, spiritually weak. Their inner man is undeveloped. And somebody will try to speak to them about deeper spiritual things and it's hard for them to really get it because they're not on that wavelength. They're just not there. So I'm gonna give you five quick things. Number one is be very humble. The Bible says God is near the humble but he knows the proud from afar. If you wanna be close to the Lord, you're gonna have to be a very humble person. Number two, you're gonna have to develop a prayer life. That's the most important thing. I instilled that in my wife and in my daughter that your personal prayer life, it's not about a religious ritual. It's about keeping a relationship with the Lord alive in your life. You have to discipline yourself. And people have time for everything else, but they have a lot of excuses when it comes to that. And that was one of the things I asked Steve Hill. I said, what have you learned about prayer? <laughs> and Brother Steve said, a lot of people talk about it but not enough people are doing it. That's what he told me. In other words, don't just talk about it, do it. Let God begin to take you deep in your personal prayer life. You, you have to make time for that. And then third, develop your inner man. How do you develop and strengthen your inner man? Well, the, by reading the word, by having a, a daily prayer life, and by praying in the spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit. As you pray in tongues, the Bible says you edify yourself, you build up your most holy faith. It is developing your inner man, it's strengthening your inner man, it's making you more sensitive to the spirit realm. And finally, I would say train your senses by constant use. 
This is what Paul was talking about. I'm just preparing you when he said using spiritual words to the mature. Unfortunately, this may be pearls to some swine and it may be um, some people just aren't going to get this. But your inner man has senses. God wants to be able to show you things. How many of you guys that you can honestly say that you, God has shown you something? You've seen a vision or something that God showed you. Way better. Come on. You've seen something. Your inner man has senses. That's why it says train them. How many of you guys can say for sure, I have heard the Lord speak? I have. I've had times with these inner senses. Now, this is under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And, but I've had times where there was like a fragrance. And I remember that I've been around certain things. This may be the gift of discerning of spirits. I don't know. But where there was like a real foul smell and it was the demonic. But also I've been in places where there was like a fragrance and it was the presence of the Lord. But those that have developed their inner man... When you've gotten around something that's evil, you can feel. Just like you take your hand and you put it on something hot, your hand feels the heat. You physically feel, but spiritually, you spiritually feel. And you'll get around something that's just not quite right. And you just feel uncomfortable. Or you can be somewhere, anywhere in the world... And the presence of the Lord comes. And you know that's the same presence that you have at home. You have a church. You're at a totally different place, totally different people. But it just feels so right because you're with the Lord in his presence. And you have discernment because you've been, your inner senses have been trained to discern. And there's even like a tasting. The Bible says, taste and see the Lord is good. There's just these senses. I'm just telling you that they're there. But many people have never developed the inner man to really be discerning. And it's frustrating. It's frustrating for Jesus. He would, how long can I bear with you? Do you not understand? I'm not talking about natural bread right now. I'm talking about what God is saying. I'm talking about other things. I'm talking about revelatory things. Paul was frustrated because he wanted to share with some of these churches that he was their spiritual father. You know, he was thinking, I'm your father in the faith. I'm your dad in the faith. And I have deeper things I want to share. But it's just going to go right over your head. I find myself having to talk about milk. I have felt that way sometimes talking to people. I talk about the Lord said this and it's, Tew. I discern this. They don't get it. But I want to close with this. Three realms. So once you begin to really develop in the Lord, you begin to come to maturity, your inner man is developed, you know the word of God. You know the Holy Spirit. You know his presence. You know his leading. You know his voice. You've, you're coming to a place of maturity. There's three realms here that, that personally for me where God will use us. Number one is this. It's kind of like your personal opinion but how many of you guys know whenever you grow up in the Lord and you really know the word and you've been sanctified in God and you've developed a prayer life and you, you walk with the spirit that there's like a sanctified opinion, if you will. A godly wisdom that 
whenever somebody, you know somebody that knows the Lord, and right now I, think, I can't help but think of your Brother John Davis or Brother whole people I talk to regularly, but their life, they've grown up in the Lord, and when they're talking to me and they give me an opinion, it's not just a random little thing that's flippant that you hear everybody out there's got an opinion, right? Like armpits, they have a couple, some stink, you heard that. But they're all out there, there's a lot of, lot of opinions. But when you're dealing with people like that, it's not just flippant little opinions, it's a sanctified opinion, it's different. It's godly wisdom, godly counsel. The Spirit of God's in it. And it's just their opinion, but there's wisdom in it, okay? The second realm is deeper than that, and this is strong impressions. How many of you guys have ever felt since you've been in Christ, you had a strong impression, a strong intuition that you needed to go talk to that person about Jesus? Or, and it wasn't that you heard anything. You just had something in you just knew, I need to get away from that or I need to go there or whatever. You just felt it. That's, so you go from just an opinion now, now you're moving into an impression. This is deeper. Impressions can still be wrong because we're human. We just kind of have an impression about this. It's a, it's a feeling like a gut feeling. But it's not a gut feeling like the world has. It's different because this gut feeling is something that we've developed in Christ. But the highest level of revelation is when God speaks to you. And those that have learned to hear from God... It's funny because God will tell me something and sometimes people want to argue with me. I just ignore it. But I mean, it's like, I love you, but God told me it don't matter what you think. It really, it really, when I say I'm not being a smart aleck, it really don't matter. When God told me that, that's just the way it is because he's never wrong and he don't lie. And sure enough, give it time and it'll come out. But those are the three realms Many times, people, pastors that have been in ministry for a long time, leaders that have been in the faith for a long time, you talk to them, and they're just giving you counsel. They're giving you wisdom. They're giving you their opinion. But how many knows you can feel that it's deeper than just that? God, God's really using that. But there's a deeper realm. They, they, you, you feel something isn't quite right here, or you feel something is good here, but you kind of feel it out. Those things can still be wrong because we're human. But the highest realm of revelation is when God speaks directly. And I've always been very careful that if God told me something, I don't ever say God told me something unless God told me something. And I have a track record with that long enough now that you know, my wife, my daughter, my family knows that if I said, well, God told me this, they're like, oh, okay. Because, I mean, if God tells you something, he's right. <laughs> Anyway, but be careful. I believe that if we'll be wise in those three areas, we all have opinions. They can be sanctified. We all have our intuition. We can be wrong in those things. It's just a gut feeling. You can be right, you can be wrong. But you need to be careful about thus saith the Lord. If God said it, he said it. If he didn't, he didn't. But we need to be careful because there's a lot of times people say thus says the Lord and it's not the Lord. And that brings a lot of reproach on the kingdom. 
And there's a lot of people out there. Bible says don't despise prophecy, but there's a lot of people out there that de despise prophecy because of that reason. They had too many, thus says the Lord, that didn't happen. And it's caused people to, um, to not feel good about it. But I'm going to say this and I'm going to close, okay? When I went to the Light the Fire Again conference, all these wonderful speakers, men and women of God, I love, honor them. And while I was there, it was really powerful. But the conference was called Light the Fire Again. And down through the last 20 years, see, I was in the fires of revival in the 90s. See, y'all look this way. Give me your best here for a moment. I was in the fires of revival. People talk about hunger, but I saw hunger. Some people say they're hungry, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> I saw hunger and I experienced hunger. I saw people that would wait in line in the heat of Florida or in the rain for hours to get into church. I saw hunger. And I saw the fires of revival. I saw people's whole lives transformed. My life was transformed. It was a lot deeper than just an emotional thing. It was life transforming. But on the other side of that, as revival began to wane, it really grieved me because people I knew that were once in revival, some of them are out of church. Not that they're going to hell, they're just backslidden. Others, their godly convictions wane. See, the closer you get to Jesus, the less sin you want in your life. Does that make sense? Like when I say, I shouldn't maybe use the word sin. Let me, um, let me rephrase that. The closer you get to Jesus, the less of the world you're going to feel comfortable with. Things that are on television, movies, music, whatever, you're going to, the closer you get to Jesus, the more uncomfortable you're going to feel with certain things. And vice versa, the further you get from Jesus, the more you're going to feel comfortable with that stuff. Doesn't bother you. And I saw how people, they used to be in the fires of revival and have godly convictions, how now they're doing things they would have never done back then. Convictions have been waning. And I saw Satan just really slipping a side door in a lot of places that it just became social programs, entertainment, etc. I say it enough, you know what I'm talking about. But when I was at the Light the Fire conference, the theme that kept coming up for obvious reasons, I mean, it's what the conference was about, was how God, Carlos Anacondia kept saying, you know, God lit the altar, the fire on the altar himself. He lit it. Remember that? Y'all have read the Bible, you know. God lit it. But Carlos Sancondi kept saying, but it was the responsibility of the priest every day, not every week, every day, to take the ashes out, put new wood in, and keep the fire going. It was their responsibility. And, and Carlos was saying, how many of you guys, that the altar, and that has to do with our personal prayer life and our time with the Lord, he said, you go and put your hands on your altar and it's cold now. And so he was calling people back to lighting the fire again in their altar and getting the fire burning. And that was a theme through the whole conference. I mean, that was not just that one speaker, but I mean, everybody was talking about that. Lyndall Cooley prophesied about God calling us back into the closet of prayer. Heidi Baker kept saying that. I was wondering what she was, it was like prophetic. She's kept saying this thing about the, closet it finally it unfolded in her message it was awesome but it was like they were talking about getting back into this place with the lord 
And Lyndall said as people got back in the, the closet with the Lord in prayer, that they would be ready for what's coming because of their time with the Lord. But it was a call back. And I would just encourage you guys, my wife talked about distractions. I believe the Holy Spirit is saying to all of us, make sure and deal with it. Whatever has been distracting us, whatever has been a hindrance, whatever we need to deal with, let's put Jesus back as the center of our whole existence. He's everything to us. How many times you hear Steve Hill saying the revival, you wake up with Jesus on your mind, you go to bed with Jesus on your mind. He's with you 24-7. He's all you think about. He's everything to you. If that's not you, you need to get down here and repent. I remember these sermons, man. They're a part of me. But that's, that is a word for all of us. Is, have we, is there a time in our life when we were closer to the Lord than we are now? If that's the case, then all of us need to evaluate that because to a degree, we have backslidden, if that's the case. And I believe after that conference in Pensacola, it was a theme over and over and over from people that were coming and going, another group coming and going. God's calling us back to putting the fire back on the altar, to getting back into prayer again, remove the distractions, whatever is hindering you, forgive whoever you need to forgive, repent of whatever you need to repent of, but get back close to the Lord again. And I believe that's what God's saying to us tonight. And the day, this is the days of awe. But it's a time to really evaluate our lives and look at the big picture. I think about that a lot. If you could, somebody could get my wife. I think about that a lot myself. And it's something I pray about regularly. Is, Lord, am I still close to you? Am I still as close as I need to be? Am I spending the time I need to spend? Am I hearing clearly? I think about that a lot and I pray about it a lot because that is the greatest strength or the greatest weakness of ministries a lot of times people get so busy with the things of god in ministry that they lose the relational aspect and next thing you know they're vulnerable because they're getting out of prayer did y'all hear what i just said they're vulnerable because they've gotten out of prayer and so they're spiritually weakened down to where the enemy can hit them Satan wants us so distracted by anything, even good things like ministry can be too much of a distraction. You get too busy. And so I feel that tonight, if we can, let's make an altar where we're at. If my wife can quickly come and shut things down. and um, If you could come up on the keyboard, please, and just play Lord Have Mercy, kind of turn it down a little bit. But just where you're at, I want you to really pray about this. And listen, don't just pray the conviction off you because that was something Doug Holt said to me he said that they would be people that they don't have the fear of God in their life like you do and he said he was concerned because he felt like some of them might be casualties of war don't and he specifically said this they're the type of people that will pray the conviction off of them but not really change hello so don't just pray until you feel better and then leave out and nothing's changed. That accomplishes nothing. Let it be something where tonight something happens in all of us where we are going to rebuild the altar. Not from a legalistic way, not from a browbeating way, not from, you know, I've got to measure up. It's about my works. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a love relationship. I'm talking about just spending time with the Lord because you love him and because you need him. 
let's find a place to pray for a few moments. And we may pray with people that want prayer tonight, but I feel this is something the Lord's really doing tonight, moving in this specific way.